Well, there's a French philosopher who was a Christian. Uh, he was a mathematician, but he was also a Christian apologist. His name was Blaise Pascal. And Blaise Pascal gave a great defense of Christianity in, in his writings. One of the things he said is he said this about happiness. He said, happiness is neither outside nor inside us. It is in God, both outside and inside of us. When we come to Romans chapter 8, we are coming to what really makes a human being happy. What really brings true blessing to a man or a woman. And I think this is very important. I want you to know that God promises us in Christ that he came to give us life, to bless our lives, that he came to bring us a sort of a happiness, really. Um, Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, John chapter 15 and verse 11 says this. These things, what Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Make no mistake, Christ came to bring us joy and blessing. He came to give us abundant life. He came to give us something that we just can't even imagine. And what we have to do as human beings is we got to begin to redefine what happiness is. We have to redefine what a blessed life looks like. We have to redefine what success is based on God or significance. Now, I'm not saying that you and I shouldn't look at material blessings and shouldn't say, you know, I've been really blessed with enough food and a, a nice home or uh, that, there's, that there's no part in saying that our temporary blessings, we shouldn't give thanks to God. We should give thanks to God for all good things in our life. Amen. And any kind of comfort we get, any kind of health we have, if you're healthy this morning. By the way, how many of y'all know somebody's sick right now? Right? I mean, like there's a flu going around, right? And so when we don't have the flu, we're like, I feel really blessed because I'm not sick. So there's a place for thanking God for temporary blessings. But can I tell you that God wants us to be more focused on a deeper blessing and happiness and joy. Something that can't be taken away from us. And when we come to Romans chapter 8, what it does to us is it tells us what a truly blessed life is for a human being. That's what it tells us. Now, Romans chapter 8 is one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. It's been called the Mount Everest of the Bible. Romans 8 has been called, quote, the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. That sounds pretty important, doesn't it? It's been called the highest peak in the range of mountains. 
Matthew Henry said about Romans chapter 8 that it's a display of the unspeakable privileges of true believers that it may furnish us with abundant matter for joy and peace in believing. Romans chapter 8 is all of that. Romans chapter 8 has brought comfort to believers in life and in death. It starts off with Romans chapter 8 verse, verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many times have we heard this quoted in churches over and over again? What a blessing that verse is. And then consider the last verse of Romans chapter 8, verse 39, where it says, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you all have heard that verse said over and over again. Or consider Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for I am convinced that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. How many of y'all have heard that verse quoted over and over again? Some people call it the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Now, with all of the varied riches of Scripture, that's a pretty precarious statement. Can I get an amen? But this chapter is truly a, an, a uniquely wonderful, wonderful chapter in the Bible. And it tells us about the Christian's privileges and blessing and happiness. And we ask ourselves, well, how can I be happy like God wants me to be happy? How can I be blessed like God wants me to be blessed? In fact, you might be here today, you might be like, I really need that. I need a deep blessing right now. I'm, I'm wandering, I'm treading water with my faith. How can I walk in the abundant life that Jesus has given to me? And I gotta say, the way you do it is you walk by the Spirit of God. That you live your life in the blessings that the Holy Spirit gives to us. In Romans chapter 8, it's, it, you, Paul uses the name Holy Spirit or Spirit 19 times. And what he's saying is if you're going to receive God's very best for your life, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit. If you're going to receive the abundant life that Jesus achieved for us, it's going to come from the Holy Spirit of life. And so what does life and the Holy Spirit look like? And what really is a blessed life that he gives to us? Let me talk under these headings. Number one, it looks like liberation. Liberation from guilt and slavery. You want to be blessed? Man, you want to be happy? You want to have what God wants for your life? You want to, you want to soar on a higher level of existence? Then let the Holy Spirit liberate you from guilt and slavery to sin. Let's look at the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Again, it bears repeating. It's a wonderful verse. We'll repeat it again. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And we see the liberation 
in verse 1. How does the Holy Spirit bless us? By liberating us from guilt. And look at that. There is now no condemnation. Everybody say, no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And get it, there never will be any condemnation. When we believe in Jesus Christ, condemnation is not waiting in the wings, waiting for us to fail enough to finally send us to hell. Condemnation is the verdict and the sentence of guilty from God over all sinners. But when we believe in Jesus Christ, what's the opposite of condemnation? Justification. That's why he says, therefore, there is now. The reason why he says, therefore, there is now is he is summing up Romans chapters 1 through 7 where Paul says that sinful human beings are declared innocent by a holy God because of the work of Jesus Christ and their faith in him. That means the moment you believe in Jesus, you get what Jesus deserves because he got what you deserved on the cross and therefore there is now no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus. Jesus Christ. What a wonderful promise. And what's so encouraging about that is that at the end of Romans chapter 7, he talked about how messed up we still are as believers. Do you know, do you know, I'm still messed up and you're still messed up as a Christian. People say, I don't go to church because Christians are hypocrites. And you know what we say? Amen. We are hypocrites. We're filled with duplicity and failure. We stumble. We give in to temptation and attitudes and actions. And when Paul says that I don't do the things I want to do as a believer, but I do the very evil that I know I shouldn't do, he's describing the Christian experience. But then he comes into Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and you know what he says? He says sin might still trip us up, and Satan might still trick us and deceive us from time to time, but sin will never ruin us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. And when we have a culture that either tells us that you got to be good enough to make it to heaven, we look at them and we say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not about your works. Not about your performance or your religion or how many good works you do or how much of the poor you feed or whatever it might be. Our lack of condemnation is because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. And when religion tries to come and make us feel in an ungodly way guilty, we say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when the world comes to us and the world says, how dare you call yourself a Christian or believe in God? How dare you do these things? How dare you, know, you, you, you promote all these absolute truths about God and human beings? We just say, look, man, I, I don't know everything, but here's what I do know. Jesus is my Lord and Savior and my hero. He came into my hell bent heart and saved me from myself and Satan and sin. And by believing in him, there's no condemnation for me. And that's not because I'm good enough. It's because he's good enough. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how does this work? How can we make such a bold statement? How can this possibly work if we say that God is holy and righteous and we are sinful and unrighteous and we have everything in us that he hates, how can he just no longer condemn us? 
Of course, it's because of in Christ. But how does this work in our life? And what Paul says is that it's the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, we're never going to get to the bottom of this, right? But the Holy Spirit takes the work of Christ and the achievement of Christ, and he applies it to our hearts. He awakens us to it. Look at it. He says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life, and it's clear In your translations, it puts spirit in the capital because that's talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You could circle that word law. It's used two times. And in that situation, it's talking about a binding authority or principle over us, an influence over our life. When he says the law of the Spirit, he's talking about the influence or the binding authority or power over our life. Now, before we were in in Christ, we were under condemnation and we were under the binding authority of sin and death, both now and eternal death coming to us outside of Christ. All those who are outside of Christ are under the binding influence and authority of sin and death. But the moment that we're born again and the Holy Spirit comes into our life, guess what? Sin and death has no claim over our life and it has no binding authority. Now we are under the binding authority of the Holy Spirit. And that authority and principle begins to influence our life because of our rebirth in the Holy Spirit. You see, no condemnation is applied to us and we're awakened to it by the Holy Spirit. A new influence has come into our life. It, it doesn't mean that we've become perfect or that, or that we don't still have a lot of work to do because we do, but it means that we have a new bent. We have a new influence. We have a new rhythm or gravity in our life. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Again, verse 3, look, he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. There you have the objective facts of the gospel. You've got the incarnation. Jesus Christ became a human being. I like the way he says, in the likeness of sinful flesh, because he doesn't want us to think that Jesus was born Uh, with sin, but he was born as a complete human being in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus took our sin and he died for our our sins on the cross. You have there in verse 1 and verse 3, the divine interchange or exchange. Jesus took what we deserved so we could get what he deserves. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the objective Christian gospel. That's the historic gospel. That's what we believe in. We believe in his work. But note what happens in verse 4. Again, reaffirming verse 2, the Holy Spirit applies that objective historic fact into our spiritual lives so that it influences us now. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, everybody say walk, Walk. not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
You see what he's saying? And he's, this is not an admonition. This is not like an application like, so walk by the Spirit. He says, no, walking by the Spirit is the natural consequence of the Spirit applying new birth to our lives. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we begin to start walking towards God. If I say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe by faith alone that he justified me by his work on the cross, but I never start walking towards God, then I haven't really believed, have I? But when I believe in Jesus Christ, the natural consequence is a slow process of sanctification because the Spirit of God has come into our life. It's the natural thing. I remember one of the movies we like in our households. It's one of our favorite movies. It's a great family movie, by the way. How many of y'all have seen the movie Paddington? Have you ever seen it? It's about the little bear. You know, there's a little bear. You haven't seen it? You got to see this movie. You got to watch Paddington. Okay, anyways, it's got an imaginary bear, and he goes to London. He lives with this family, and it's a really great family movie. But there's this one part where the dad of the family, at one point in time, he was this cool guy. You know, he's like a hippie, he had long hair, he rode a motorcycle, you know what I'm saying? And he listened to loud music and all this stuff. And so his wife gets pregnant with the first baby. And when it's time for her to have the baby, he takes his wife to the hospital on the motorcycle. Can I get an amen? Right? She's in labor. He takes her in and he's like, yeah, baby. And he's all like, he's all like, he's just cool. You know what I mean? And he's singing songs and everything, and they go into the hospital, and when they come out of the hospital after the birth of their first child, he's wearing a sweater and and khakis, and he has a beige Volvo station wagon waiting for him, and he's all like, be careful, honey, be careful, honey. He's carrying the baby, and he puts the baby in the car, and and it totally changed him because what happened? A baby came into his life, and the natural consequence in a man's life when a baby comes along is we go from being concerned about being cool to being concerned about being safe. Men, can I get an amen? You you change. Before I had babies, or well, Sherry had babies, and I was very supportive. Yes, baby. Uh, Sherry's looking at me like, I did the hard work. You had fun. I had the baby. Anyways, but what happened was, don't tell anybody I said that. Okay. But what happened was, I remember saying, I'll never have a minivan. How many of y'all said that? Never have a minivan. Baby number three, minivan. You know what I'm saying? There was one point, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Sherry will testify to this. If, if I'm lying, I'm dying. We, we were living in Moore, Oklahoma. I had a church. And somebody donated a minivan to us. And I didn't know if that was a blessing or a curse, Right? And we had two minivans, two, like at the same time. I drove a minivan, Sherry drove a minivan. In our, par- in our driveway was two minivans. Why? Because babies change your life naturally. It's not something you set out to do. It just happens. And what Paul is saying, listen, Paul is saying, when you believe in Christ and you're justified, the Holy Spirit begins to apply that to your life. And you change. You begin to walk. You begin to follow God. You begin to move in that direction. Now, inside of that is an implicit admonition, isn't there? Paul said in Galatians, if you have the Spirit, if you live in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit of God. 
Give yourself to this influence. Allow yourself. Say yes. Say yes. Yes. You are influencing me today. Yes, you are leading me today. Yes, you are calling me to not ride the motorcycle anymore. You know what I mean? Yes, you are calling me to come out of this existence as a new person. Yes, you're, you're putting new things in my driveway. Yes, Holy Spirit, you're putting new things in my living room. Yes, Holy Spirit, you're putting new things into my heart. I am saying yes and amen to your natural work in my life as a justified, no longer condemned believer in Jesus Christ. That's what we mean by liberation. You want to know what a blessed life is? A blessed life is not a motorcycle or loud music or being too cool for school. A blessed life is liberation from knowing I'm no longer guilty and therefore Satan cannot accuse me and I'm no longer obligated to walk in the flesh. I can walk by the Spirit. I am liberated. That is a blessed life. And I I don't know, in this very moment and in moments when I'm experiencing it, I I don't always feel like this. But the Holy Spirit has given me wisdom from time to time, and it's this. I would rather be liberated from guilt and sin and be a poor man than have the biggest mansion, have all the cars, have everything that America says a blessing is, and be in bondage to guilt and to sin. That is not blessing. Blessing is not bondage to sin and death. Blessing is not knowing what's going to happen to you when you die. Blessing is not knowing, not knowing if you're right with God. That is not blessing. I don't care what you have. I don't care how talented you are. You can dunk basketballs all day long. Kevin Durant can leave Oklahoma City Thunder, go play for the Golden State Warriors, and beat Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City and be one of the most talented basketball players in the whole world. But he's not blessed. Can I get an amen? Unless he has Jesus, and then he's blessed, which I'll have to love him in heaven. Okay. You see, you see how this works. You see how this works. Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about this. He said, you know, here's the difference between this and religion. Religion is you obey because there's a law, like a statute. There's these rules to keep. And there's no liberation in that. He said, but what Paul is talking about here is a relationship, like a husband to a wife, or a wife to a husband. And out of relationship and out of love flows this desire. Even though we're not perfect in that relationship, there's a desire through relationship to grow and to be obedient. That's what Paul is talking about. We're liberated. We're liberated from guilt and slavery to sin. Now he goes on to talk about a second blessing that the Holy Spirit gives to us and that as Christians we define as truly a blessed life. He talks about imagination, that the Holy Spirit gives us a new mind for God. And I want to read this. Look at verses 5 through 9. Romans 8, verses 5 through 9. He says, For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now, I want you to see, first of all, just broadly, he is comparing Christians with non-Christians here. That's what he's doing. He's not comparing carnal Christians with mature Christians. He's comparing Christians with non-Christians. This is not, again, an admonition. It's a description or an, an equation, if you will, a spiritual equation. And the reason why I say that is because he says, you have the Holy Spirit. Your mind is set on the Holy Spirit. And he says very clearly that if you don't have Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. He says it there in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. What he's saying is, is that the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in the life of a believer. Can I get an amen? The Holy Spirit doesn't leave and then come back and leave and come back. Now, the Holy Spirit influences us more on some days than other days, and we're under the, more of a control or influence of the Holy Spirit on some days than other days, but the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in the life of a believer. So what he's describing is an equation, and he's saying that the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is their mind. Everybody say mind. Mind. You see that word mind, it's used over and over and over again. And this word mind, it comes from a, a Greek word, phroneo, which is a, a word that doesn't just describe like intellectual processes or just thinking about things. It really talks more about an imagination or affection or concern or aspiration, okay? I, when I was growing up, I had two big brothers. I had a mom and a dad. I'm, I'm so grateful for my mom and my dad, by the way. Mom, if you're listening, I love you. I love you. But I remember when, when my brothers and I, when we would disobey our mother, that's when my dad would step in, like, big time. And he would say, what would we say? He would say, mind your mother. Now, he wasn't saying, have great intellectual thoughts about your mother, you know. He wasn't saying, you know, add up how tall she is or what color her hair is and write an essay about it or do some dissertation on the qualities of your mother. You know what he meant? He said, aspire to, aim at, be concerned with, have an affection for the rules of your mother. That's what it means to mind your mother. Paul is saying that a Christian, when we're born again, we are given an imagination for God, an aspiration, an aim, or as Jonathan Edwards talked about all the time, by the way, read his book, Religious Affections, and you will get a great commentary on this idea. He talked about that Christians have holy affections for God. Our mind is set on the Spirit. Our mind is influenced by the Holy Spirit. That is blessing. A lack of blessing is before we became Christians, 
we were either too religious to have affection for God because we were self-congratulatory all the time and self-dependent on being religious and I'm going to do all these good works and I'm going to do all these things. Our mind was so set on our own performance that we didn't have a mind for God or we were so secular and worldly that we couldn't live for God or His glory. In fact, he says that the mindset on the flesh is, verse 7, hostile to God. The mindset on the flesh cannot submit to God's law. The mindset on the flesh before we became Christians is a mind that is totally depraved because we cannot please God. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And before you were a Christian, you were hostile to God too, weren't you? You were an enemy of God. You were at war with God. There's different ways that we're hostile to, towards God before we're Christians. Sometimes we have a polite disregard for God. I don't need that. I don't need that God stuff. I got this. Polite disregard. We get that all the time. You tell somebody, I'm a believer in Christ, they might say, that's good for you. Not my kind of thing. That's a mindset on the flesh. Sometimes hostile to God through proud defiance. Not only do I not need God, I'm going to make sure I don't need God. I've got this life on my own. I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I don't use religion like a crutch. Only weaklings use God and religion and believe in Jesus and archaic thoughts. I've got this on my own. I'm a strong man. I do everything. I fought growing up. Proud defiance. And unfortunately, some people are hostile to God because of bitter resentment. Where was God when I was suffering? Where was God when I was abused? Where was God? God is so great, he wouldn't have let me go through all that. Of course, we remember that it's easy for us to blame God for the gaps of suffering in our life, but we never thank him for those good days in our life, do we? You see, the mindset on the flesh before we become Christians is we are hostile towards God. And sometimes it's because we have all the blessings of the world. Sometimes it's because we've accumulated. We're so safe, we're so secure, we're so healthy that there's no need in our hearts to worship the creator of all good things. That's the mindset on the flesh. But hallelujah, when we're born again, our mindset becomes different. We have aspiration and affection. We have a new imagination for God. We begin to value the things of the spirit. That's why he contrasts spirit with flesh. When he's contrasting spirit with flesh, he's not contrasting spiritual life with physical life. He's contrasting two different worldviews. Flesh doesn't mean like skin and bones in the physical world. It's not dualism that we're talking about here. He's talking about a worldview of living for the values of the world, of living for self and not for God, of living for self and not for others. That's the values of the flesh. You see, it's a worldview of appetite, a spiritual appetite that does not include God. But 
the mindset on the spirit values God, the things of God, the word of God, the people of God, all the things that God has given. We're suddenly attracted to the people and the purposes and the plan of God for our life. We love it. We can't wait to learn more about it. And even when we're failing, we're so disappointed with ourselves because we know I love this stuff. You see, that's the mindset on the Holy Spirit. That's an equation, beloved. And that's a blessed life. You want to know what a blessed life is? It's when our mind begins to think through all things through the reality of God and the glory of God. We begin to see the the rhythm of our life, the way we see ourselves in, in the world, goes right through the filter and the optic of the person of God. Isn't that true? That's a blessed life. An imagination for God is a blessed life. And that's what the Holy Spirit has given to us. That's why Paul always talks about our mind, doesn't he? He says, and he says things like this great stuff. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Amen. Isn't that good? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's kind of Paul's way of saying, mind your God. Mind the Spirit. Mind the things that He minds about. You could go to, we read this last week, I'll read it again for our own edification. It's so important. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following talk about the worldview of the flesh and the worldview of the Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, verse 19, now the works of the flesh. Note it's the works of the flesh, not the flesh itself. It's what this worldview of godlessness leads to is. The resulting symptoms of practical atheism is sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, Before we were Christians, when we were involved in those kinds of things, and when we're still tempted to be involved in those things, we have to remind ourselves, those things don't bring blessing, do they? They bring misery. Misery. But look at the fruit of the Spirit. The mindset on the Holy Spirit does this, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. There's your blessing. There's your abundant life. Your abundant life that Jesus wants for you and I is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is a blessed life. People who have love and joy, and peace, and patience. Man, the days when I have patience from the Holy Spirit, I'm like, not only am I happy, I'm experiencing a miracle right now, right? 
when, when, when I'm gentle, when, I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I have these things, these, these ideas of self-control, that is a blessed life. And all of that flows from the imagination that the Holy Spirit gives to us from God. And so if we have the Holy Spirit, let us walk and keep in step with the Holy Spirit and let us set our minds on things above. And by the way, let us take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but let us be renewed by the Word of God. Hmm. The mind. The Holy Spirit blesses us with an imagination for God and for holiness. Coming back to Romans chapter 8, let me give you my final heading. Not only are we blessed because we have liberation from guilt and slavery, and not only do we have imagination for God and and holiness, but the Holy Spirit gives us mortification to kill sin before it kills us. Look at verse 12. Actually, let me go back up. Oh man, I almost forgot. Bad preaching, preacher. Go to verse 10. This is good too, man. I mean, you just can't get beyond all the blessings here. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You know what that means? That verse is talking about, even though we're all getting older, and those of you who are younger, you will get older, right? And, and you st- things start happening in this section of your life, and you're like, whoo! You know what I mean? And, and your hair starts getting gray, and you start losing pieces, clumps right here, and, and then you start getting sick, and your body is decaying. See, we're still experiencing the physical effects of original sin, and guess what? We will all die. But how powerful and blessed is it to know that the Holy Spirit will hang on to us all the way to the end. He is life, amen? Our death and sickness and decay will not take away the blessing that we have in the Holy Spirit. And as we get older, that becomes more and more encouraging because you begin to start feeling like, maybe God doesn't like me anymore, you know? Anyways, all right. Verse 11, now... If the spirit of him, now watch this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So even death itself will not stop the powerful blessing of the Holy Spirit in our life. Blessing is not health forever. Blessing is when health runs out, we're going to get new health through a new body and a glorified state to live with Jesus forever and ever. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that's going to raise me out of my grave and give me a much better looking body. Amen. Hallelujah. And I will live forever with permanent youthfulness for God in worship with Jesus Christ. That's the power and the blessing and that is a blessing, by the way. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old Egyptian uh, proverb. It goes like this. We're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Did you know that? Yeah. Our bodies are going to be in that grave a lot longer than we ever existed here on earth. And what happens to us in the life to come, it really matters. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Lord... Teach me to number my days so that I might have a heart of wisdom. 
That is a blessed life. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to learn how to live your life on earth now, prepare for death. What is your answer? I did a funeral last Monday for our precious, beloved Joyce Spangler, who is wonderful. She's in heaven with Jesus, worshiping and dancing, and I'm going to miss her, but I know she is right now not missing me because she's in heaven with Jesus. Amen. But I did her funeral last Monday, looked out at a, at a crowd in our church, told them that same thing. Why do Christians go to funerals? Is it for the dead or is it for the living? It's for the living. I'll do another funeral tomorrow. I'm doing funerals all the time. And you know what? I'm reminded as a pastor and as a man and as a human being, death comes to us all. And a blessed life is not when your whole life depends on whether you're going to get the neat, shiny toy this week. A blessed life is when you're living with eternity in mind and the Holy Spirit will give you confidence and he will raise you on that day and you will live with God forever and ever. But you must believe in Jesus. You must belong to him and then the Holy Spirit will give you that promise. But back to mortification, verse 12. So then, brothers, love this. Now, here's the admonition. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, an appetite that's for a worldview that has nothing to do with God. No, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. You could circle that word die and that word live, and when you're talking about there, death and life, you're not talking about like physical death, you're talking about spiritual death. Right? There are some people who are walking around alive, but they have no life. The walking dead. Right? Zombies, spiritual zombies, you know. Spiritually, that's what happens. And there are people who are walking around with physical life, and yet they have life beyond that. And what is the difference? The difference is if sin is being killed in our life. The old King James Version says, mortify the deeds of the body. John Owen, a Puritan, many, many years ago, wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. And here's what he said. He said, the vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification, that is the death of or the killing of, the deeds of the flesh. Again, he says in that same book, quote, the choicest believers who are assuredly free from the condemning power of sin, ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. Put to death, when Paul says put to death sin, he's talking, he's using a word that's as violent as you can imagine. Everybody say violent. Paul is saying you are to chop off the head. You are to 
stick a knife in it. You are to go to war every single day and to put to death the deeds of the flesh and sin in your life. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin brings misery. Sin destroys relationships. Crossing God's boundaries begins to walk out of God's blessings. Listen to me. Be killing sin before sin kills you. And the blessed life is when we don't do that in our own strength or religiously. We do it asking the Holy Spirit to help us to kill sin. The spirit and scripture is the sword of the spirit. And we take the sword and the school of the Holy Spirit, which is scripture, like a sword. And we just start chopping sin up. Can I get an amen? I've been watching a lot of war movies lately. How many of y'all seen Hacksaw Ridge? Yes, I love that movie. And he didn't believe in taking weapons in, but he believed in healing people. It was a really great thing because it's de- anyway, it's a seven-day Adventist, and it's a really powerful story of faith. But let me tell you something. Spiritually, we are not pacifists. Can I get an amen? We chop up sin. We take this sword of the Spirit. It's, a, it's the school of the Spirit. We open it up, and we look at our lives, and we say, I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to chop up sin in my life. I'm going to kill sin before it kills me, because I don't want just kind of life in Christ. I want abundant life in Christ, and the Holy Spirit gives me a spirit of mortification of sin. You are a fighter. Yes, you are. God made you to be a fighter. And every day's a battle. When the world tells you that you're not going to battle every day, the world is lying. You wake up and you put your cold feet on that cold floor in central Illinois, man, and you are going to battle. That's a, that's a battlefield you're going to. But praise God, we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit of God empowering us, our affections, our imagination, our liberation. We're not, we're not fighting sin because we're worried about going to hell. We're fighting sin because we want to enjoy God. We're not fighting sin because we're worried that we might not make it to heaven. We're fighting sin because we are on our way to heaven. We are mortifying the deeds of the flesh in the strength that the Spirit provides. That's a blessed life. That's an abundant life. You cannot put a value on a life that is constantly killing sin. You can't. Here's how Jesus, Jesus is a much better teacher than John Owen or any Puritan. And here's what Jesus said, which is even stronger than the Puritans. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and following, if you're, I love this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What's he saying? He's saying, cut it out. Chop it up, man. Get rid of it. No matter what it costs you, get rid of sin before it gets rid of your joy in Christ. My mama used to tell me, When I'd misbehave, which was rarely, she used to say, cut it out. Sometimes she'd just say it quietly, but with a look. How many of y'all had a mama with a look? She'd be like, cut it out. And I'd be like, you know what I mean? And other times she'd be like, cut it out. Joshua, cut it, you know, cut it out. God is saying to us, by the Holy Spirit, cut it out. This is a blessed life. 
And don't let this world come to you and say, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. It's all, it's all okay. You don't have to be old-fashioned like that. You see, why the world is constantly crossing these boundaries that God has given to human beings, the world is miserable, miserable. They go to the streets in misery. They're fighting each other. They couldn't hold their life together. And God loves them. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a situation of where God doesn't love us. That, that's why he wants us to cut it out. And we do it as, as the passage says. By the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. Put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Hmm. You say, well, can you, can you give me some application on that? Well, I just put down these three things, even based on this whole text that we've looked at today. How should I cut out sin and how can I mortify the deeds of the, of the, of the flesh? Number one, do it with your heart. I love that he says that you are debtors. I love that word debtor or in other passages it says you are under obligation not to the flesh, but you're under obligation to the Holy Spirit. And what that means is, is that you are to put your heart under this love that God has given to you. This gift of grace, this gift of no condemnation, and let it influence your obligation and your heart. So give yourself to the gospel of grace to kill sin. The second thing I wrote down is do it with your mind. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who God is. Let the Spirit lead your thoughts to the person of God. I read this week that Scripture is the school of the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and be killing sin, we need to hear the voice and let our minds be renewed and fed on the Scripture. Do you have a plan for that? So you can hear from the Spirit, heart, mind, and then your will. Decide in moments of freshness in the Spirit what you're going to do as you look forward to your, to your day or your week. You know, when, you, when I'm having quiet time in the Word or when I'm at church and I'm preaching or I'm listening to a sermon or I'm, ta- or I'm with my life group or I'm sitting with Sherry and we're drinking coffee and we're talking about the Lord, those are times of refreshment in the Holy Spirit. And what I need to do is take those times of refreshment in the Holy Spirit and look forward and plan for those moments that won't be refreshing. Plan for those moments when I will be tempted. Plan for those moments when I'm going to be led down a path that's going to lead to me stumbling into things that are going to take away my abundant life in the Holy Spirit. When you're having fresh moments in the Holy Spirit, look ahead to your life and plan to kill sin before it kills you. John Piper said this, kill sin not as a victim, but as a victor. Look at what the Holy Spirit's given to you. You're, you're a victor and you are victorious. You're, as we're going to talk about, Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are a victor, and you're a victor because the Holy Spirit has given to you, what? Liberation. He's given to you imagination. He's given to you mortification, and he's asking you to walk in the identity that you have. And as you remove sin, then you can enjoy God and enjoy a relationship with him at a whole new level. Let us pray.